So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are so being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla, and next to me, the president of Bridge Ministry, D. Steven Hartog. What up, everybody? Good to be back with you. It's been a couple of months, and you guys are probably wondering, where have we been? We have been here, but things have just been a little crazy here. Indeed. Just because of the new building, um, there's just been a lot of ups and downs, right, Steve? Oh. And uh and uh, I know that we've been keeping you updated uh, throughout our other podcasts, but uh, we have had some severe delays, but that's okay because we're trusting Christ. Um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully this will be completed soon. Right. God is sovereign and uh, we're just uh, waiting on him, on his timing to get everything completed and get moved in. But uh, Lord willing, we will be able to start moving stuff in probably next week. So we praise God for that and appreciate your continued prayers towards that end. We're yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah, and just keep checking our, our social media uh, or our website for updates. Uh, we have uh, posted some pictures up there. on the mm -hmm. We've completed tiles and all this other stuff. And again, thank you for all our supporters. Thank you for our listeners who have contributed to the ministry. We still need your help. Uh, we, because of delays and everything going on, uh, we have fought a little short on just funds. But if you guys are, if God puts in your heart to give to the ministry, any anything will help. Uh, again, we, we have gone this far just because of the Lord's grace and just using people to give to the ministry. And we really appreciate that. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe, subscribe to Apple, Android, Google, and Stitcher Radio. And please visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.org. Uh, I also wanted to just give uh, a couple of updates, uh, Steve, about the seminary, mm. uh, because I think the last time we spoke of about the seminary, we were going through somebody else, but now we I think we have uh, solidified who we're going to be with yes. here in the future. So it's one of the other things that God has just been moving in the ministry as well. Yeah, yeah. And we'll have more information on our website about that coming up. But uh, looks like we're going to be going with uh, with uh, Birmingham Theological Seminary out of Alabama. Mm. And uh, so we are talking with them and finalizing some things. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to get that started up this fall. Yeah, we're super excited, especially in the new location. When we're uh, looking forward to reach out to the college uh, students. So uh, we are excited, especially uh, for the people who have been uh, coming to Bridge Ministry who's going to help us out in that task. So we're super happy about that. Um, so for today, guys, we are going to have a first time author, Joshua Sharif, um, on his book, the Strangers at Our Shore, How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church. Um, so we're super excited to have him. Uh, this is a great book. Uh, our, our author it was a Muslim, and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself and uh, uh, his background. It's going to be very, very interesting. Well, um, again, guys, uh, it's good to be back. 
And uh, we are looking forward to just be a little bit more con, uh, consistent with our podcast and we move to a new location. We do have some authors lined up here and uh, hopefully you'll see us back on a consistent basis. Again, continue praying for the ministry. Well, well, Steve, uh, let's uh, you want to get this podcast started? Let's go. I'm excited. All right, let's do it. Joshua Sharif was born in Egypt to a Muslim family and immigrated to the United States, where he later came to faith in Jesus. Before transitioning to a new role, he planted and pastored in Albany Park in Chicago, Illinois, one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the country for a decade. Joshua has enjoyed his years equipping and coaching other missionaries and pastors around the world. In his new role, Joshua now works bivocationally to equip churches to reach their city. His story was featured in Love Costs Everything, a documentary produced by CIY and Voice of the Martyrs concerning Christian persecution. Welcome, Joshua Sharif, to Bridge Radio for the first time. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Well, I am super excited uh, because you don't know this, Joshua, but I am from Chicago and have I've moved to Texas not too long ago. So I am a born and bred Chicagoan from the inner city. So I was really too uh, really excited uh, to hear that you're were uh, uh, pastoring in the area where I grew up and went to church. Uh, I went to church to at Ravenswood uh, Baptist Christian School uh, Church in the Ravenswood area. So, uh, and a shout out to all my listeners in Chicago and Pastor Moore over there at Ravenswood. And uh, super excited today, Joshua. We're going to be talking about your book, "The Strangers at Our Shore," uh, with Sarah Lude. Tierney, um, How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church by Moody Publishing. So before we begin, Josh, uh, a large part of this book is your testimony. You grew up a Muslim in Egypt and later immigrated to the U.S. and converted. Can you briefly tell us how you got to this point? Sure. Uh, definitely want to share some of that. I was going to ask about your hat, by the way. I was wondering if <laughs> yeah. were, uh, Ravenswood's not too far away. That's right. Up here on the north side. So, that, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was um, born in a, in a Muslim family in Egypt, and I would say we were probably culturally Muslim and, and, and nominally, um, you know, practicing. Uh, my father had a health scare, had a heart attack, and that really um, heightened his religious sense mm. for me as a, as a young kid, I was probably the one that was always dra- trying to drag him to the mosque. I had a real sense, I think at an early age of, uh, the pursuit of God and wanting to, to go after God, please God. And, uh, even at, at a young age, I would tell, um, my parents, I want to be an imam and I would, mm. uh, you know, play imam i would lead my cousins in prayers and um just just wanting to pursue and and go after god fast forward and you can read some of the story in the book but um we came to to the u.s and in the u.s was the first christian in our family my grandmother that's who we were living with and uh everything began to turn upside down for me i i quickly realized you know in a new country as a as an immigrant uh, feeling out of place, uh, experiencing the, the the faith of my grandparents for the first time. Mm. Um, I was out of my depths. Not only that, 
I, I also uh, had no clue that for the last 15 years, my mother had a secret faith mm-hmm. in in Jesus. She had converted in Egypt, but but because of the persecution that took my grandmother out of Egypt and because of the pressures, um, you know, she, she had practiced it in secret. And I grew up really um, not knowing or understanding that. And so my early experience with Christianity was, you know, uh, living with my grandparents, I'd even walk by their office every day. They'd be reading scripture out loud, looking back completely for my benefit. Not, not you know, not a normal thing to just be sitting down reading scripture out mm-hmm. loud. Um, and I think I went from walking by rudely hurling insults, saying things like, you know, God doesn't hear you or, or the Bible's corrupt, things that I was just repeating, mm-hmm. uh, to lingering a little bit longer and hearing God's word. And I I can't say the exact moment, but um, I found myself in that room and I found myself reading scripture. And I I don't know the day, but I do know that it was in reading scripture that I uh, gave my my life and my heart to, to Jesus and finally found the God that I was looking for that was so much different in character than I, what I was used to, than what I understood in Islam, uh, a God that, that, that was love, that was our Father, that was our Savior. And that began to change my life and kind of set uh, a course um, for, for our family as we were all embracing this faith where we had to spend 10 years in the U.S., but on the run, anonymous mm-hmm. names, uh, because of the danger that our our conversion posed for us. Wow. wow, that's really interesting. I think it just goes to show again the power of God's word in and of itself, right? To to bring us to salvation. So, what was it that you would say that caused you to leave Islam for Christianity? Or obviously, ultimately, it's the Lord's doing. But I guess what was it that about Christianity? What was the attraction? to Christianity that uh, drew you to saving faith in Christ? And kind of as a follow-up to that, I guess, what would you say would be um, one of the unique challenges with regards to uh, Islam um, that that might be challenging for, for somebody from that faith to come to saving faith in Christ? Sure, that's a, a great question. You know, um, for me, because I had been on a search for God, mm. I think be, finding myself face to face with Jesus in the Gospels mm. um, was something radical for me. It, it, it was, it was that feeling that you know that Jesus was was pursuing me, that mm. He died for me, that He came for me, that He has a purpose and a, and a plan for me, and He has love for me that I didn't have to please Him. You know, I often say when I chose. Um, to become a pastor, it was with different motivations. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be an imam to to please God, the God that I thought I knew. And when I decided to become a pastor, it's because I already knew God was pleased with me and mm-hmm. I was living mm-hmm. a life in grace. Wow. And so I think having my concept of God um, being completely flipped you, you know, I came face to face with with a God I couldn't deny. I guess I, I would say. Hmm. Uh, the other thing I really want to highlight is that, and I, it's a theme in the book as well, is prayer. Hmm. Hmm. 
you know, when I first stepped foot into the, the, the church my grandparents were going into, a uh, older lady came up to me and said, you know, every Wednesday for the past decade, we've been praying for you to come to Christ. Wow. Every Wednesday, fifth, well, we've not missed a Wednesday. And I'm sure they were praying about some other stuff too, but, but she <laughs> joked and said, you know, now I'm not, I'm not sure what we're going to be praying about. <laughs> and I, I remembered that not just because of her care, but, you know, I think as I made a decision for Jesus, I didn't realize that there was more at play than, than just myself and Jesus, mm. that it was actually a host of believers, the family of God who were, you know, bringing me into, into this new life. It kind of, we just had our, our third boy, and I kind of picture um, having that delivery room. There's so many people in there. There's the doctor and the nurses and myself and, of course, the, my wife and baby. And it's it's really we're there so that my wife can deliver and this baby can be born. Mm. But it's really a whole host of people who are there to support. And it was that kind of moment, that, that the birthing through prayer that I think um, – is hard to quantify, but it's yeah. certainly part of my testimony. How how did the impact of a prayer being answered from your family have on them with you coming to faith? Yeah, you know, I think I think of course um, as as we see prayers like that answered, it, it builds our faith mm-hmm. and it gives us the strength to continue praying for for more. And so, you know, um, we were certainly not the last people in our family to, to come to faith. We were kind of at the front and what, what that did and what that continues to do is to, is to encourage us that we can continue to, to pray and we can continue to be patient and we can continue to be, um, you know, enduring on, on God's time for the salvation of, of those that were, were praying for. Yeah. You said it took what, 10 years of prayer? Yeah, ten years of prayer. They were praying for us. Wow, wow, it's and I and and that's one of those things that you know it's a it's a challenge. It's a high bar of consistency. Yeah. When I even ex- still examine my own heart and mind and, and soul and say, you know, who am I praying that consistently and constantly, and with that kind of longevity for? Um, so I should, you know, I try to remind myself I should at least put in the effort that was put in to, to birth me into the, the family of God. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. We're so impatient when it comes to prayer because we want everything now and quickly done now. And, and if the Lord shows up now, we yeah. want the microwave prayers. Yeah. Exactly. Get it done in 30 seconds. <laughs> exactly. So, um, Joshua, as we move forward and talking about your book, what are some of the problems that you see in the church today regarding how we relate to immigrants and refugees? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, and I I guess I want to start off by saying, when I wrote this book and and, uh, worked on it these last few years, um, my perspective and my motivation was not, you know, look at all these things that are going wrong and how the church is messing up, or man, the church is just getting this wrong. Um, I want to say that my motivation and I hope the tone of the book is an encouraging one and it's one out of gratitude. I love the church. The church took me in, became my family, discipled me, mm. um, and set me on the course 
to not only um, be received in the family of God, but to, to continue on that legacy, to now receive people and do this work as well, the same work that was put into my life. So kind of the crux of what I'm, what I'm trying to say in, in this book is we can continue to do this. And I know God has equipped the church to do this. And we can take a hold of this opportunity that God has has um, put put in front of us as his 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 bride, his church, um, to continue to welcome people, the family of God. So I want to say that because I don't think the church needs, you know, another book or publication or anything that just guilts us or beats us over the head or makes us feel like, you know, ah, oh, you're right. I'm I'm the worst Christian. You know, <laughs> um, and I've certainly read some of those books that that are maybe right, but I feel so demotivated afterwards and mm. so beat down, and so I really try to avoid that. No, but also try to motivate people into action and and say real and hard things. But one of the things that the church can can certainly do is um, as an immigrant or refugee that's coming in you deal with a lot of organizations. You deal with, with um, you know, the government, resettling organizations. You know, you have to, you know, you don't sign up for um, everything, you know, through your life. You, you come in, you have to get your driver's license, all that stuff, boom, it has to happen. I mean, I remember my medical records being lost. And so they said, well, you just need to get vaccinations. Well, I already had those vaccinations. Mm. Well, they picked one day and I got multiple, like a whole host of vaccinations again. So wow. there's this kind of bureaucracy that that that's churning. And I think the church can, in, instead of just being, you know, another group that's, you know, has a charity that's that's interfacing to do good things in an immigrant or refugee's life, we truly can be neighbors and friends mm -hmm. and be real people in their life. And that's completely different than somebody sitting behind a desk or somebody that's doing something on behalf of an organization. Um, and so that's one quick practical thing that 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 we talk about, which is the idea uh, we explore of going beyond charity and moving to family. Mm. You know, that's that's the idea of people around a table. And that's where I think lives are changed and, and, and families built. Yeah, I want to kind of dig into that idea of family a little bit more. You mentioned that and and uh, talk about some of the key people, I guess, or some of the things that they did to give you that feeling that uh, that church truly is a family. I mean, right, we are one family under in God um, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so how did they model that? How were you included into into that family? Sure. And I have many stories, but I'll highlight two really quickly. Mm. Um, I would say I had a Sunday school teacher who, um, you know, I cannot remember at all anything he, he taught me as far as lesson wise. And I, I remember he was a great Sunday school teacher and he did mm. teach me a lot, but, but I couldn't tell you a lesson. But what I can tell you is that um, this man bought me my first bicycle and mm. taught me how to ride wow. my mm. first bicycle. And, um, you know, that's, that still moves me today because um, the impact of that, it wasn't about a bicycle, obviously. Yeah, it was yeah. about knowing that, um, you know, I didn't have a father figure in my life. Hmm. I was, um, 
isolated, alone. My mother was working multiple jobs to just try to make ends meet. Mm. And here's a man who who saw a need past Sunday school um, and, and said, I'm gonna invest in your life. And so I have many of those kind of stories. The other one, the other one is, and I, I would say this one probably illustrates the, that moving from charity to family. When we were on the run, we, you know, we moved to the Midwest, this, this church, got an apartment for us and we had a, um, a family come by with furniture. You know, here we are in this new place mm-hmm. and we, we didn't have anything. And they came over with all this furniture, mm-hmm. but they didn't see us as, as charity cases. In fact, uh, there was a boy my age as part of the family and uh, his name was Andrew and he came along. And from that day on, we became friends mm-hmm. and uh, He's my best friend to to this day, you know, wow. 25 plus years later, he was best man at my wedding. Mm. Um, and, and that is a, a acceptance and perspective shift that maybe was something very little back then, but mm. built into something that, that gave me the foundation to truly believe that I am part of a family. I'm accepted. I'm equal, and I have value. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And um, one of the things that really stood out um, that in, in the book, and you're telling the story of, um, as you were saying, that you guys moved to this country, but, um, and please correct me when I'm wrong on this. There are uh, people were looking for your mom, right? There, uh, there yeah. was. There was a, is it fair to say a price on her head for being? Yeah, so, so yes. those I would say are, are kind of two different phases. So at first it was our family looking from, from my mother, really to, to bring us back to Egypt as, as children. Mm. And then for her, she had dishonored our family. And so her life was probably in danger. Um, but later on, she started a ministry uh, to reach Muslim people. And it's a ministry that continues on that's reached thousands of people for Christ. And um, at the start of that, there was um, a lot of danger. The FBI was involved. And and yes, Al-Qaeda even had her on their website to, with, with a price on her head. Wow. And your mom and you guys just pushing through for the gospel truth is absolutely amazing. You're just your mom being faithful despite all yeah, the she's things. All- She's always been um, very courageous, um, and I think what it what it comes down to is um, when you know that you've gained more than you can ever lose, mm-hmm. um, you you can't be convinced otherwise. It's that parable, you know. You find a treasure in the field, and you sell everything you have to go because you know you you have it made. You found what you need, and I think that that's how she lived her life, and that that discipled. Um, me and my sister and our family to, to live, um, our lives that way. Wow. I'm getting chills right now as you're telling this uh, story for sure. Um, as, uh, we continue on, um, Joshua, what are some of the common difficulties immigrants experience that are natural born citizens that may not think of, and what can people do to ease some of these burdens? I know that you were just talking about when you first came in this country, people were pouring into your life, uh, investing in you guys, um, you know, gave you furniture. Um, what are some other just examples that we can uh, share with our listeners? 
Yeah, you know, um, it's funny, the things that, that stick out and matter. We certainly want to be people who help with the essentials. And, the, you know, you think priority list, you want to think essentials down, obviously. Um, but again, like I, like I said earlier, it's the, it's the small things. And I, I would probably reflect that back into what I've seen happen um, as I've been in Chicago. Certainly some of those items like helping somebody get their feet on the ground and, and get a job and, and understand how, what it means to live in the city and all of that is important. But um, there's been those moments too, like taking people to try something completely new. I remember um, sitting with a, a friend who we went to this restaurant that, that a few of us liked and uh, we all ordered burgers. What was the name of it? What was the name of it? What was the name of it? (laughs) It's, it's called Rockwell Grill. Okay. (laughs) It's on Rockwell. Yeah. Um, I just gave him some free advertising. Yeah, you did, right? No, that's okay. That's okay. I just like listening to local names. Um, (laughs) But anyway, we're getting ready to, to eat these burgers and he just announces, oh, this is my first cheeseburger. Oh, wow. And we, we had this moment where we thought like, surely this is so universal, but uh, for whatever reason, he he never really had a, a cheeseburger, mm-hmm. and and so um, you know that that was a great moment. I, I want I, I'd like to, if it's okay with you, flip that question too, and yeah. just say, you know, one of the things I explore is the differences between, um, you know, somebody like myself who is you know with a Middle Eastern background, let's say, reaching a Middle Eastern person, and. Um, somebody who has not, none of that background mm. and, and is reaching somebody from a different culture for Christ uh, or, or building that that bridge. Um, one of the things I really want to dispel in this book um, is is that you have to be some kind of expert. I, I think of like Acts 4, 13, Peter, John, they're warned, don't teach, don't do any of this in Jesus' name. Of course, they continue to uh, they leave, and the the teachers of the of the law there are um, the thing that they're impressed with that was that these are unschooled ordinary men, mm-hmm. and they took note that they were Jesus. And mm-hmm. so I I kind of go to great lengths in the book to explain that this is fueled by the power of God. Mm-hmm. But real practically, um, you know, when I approach somebody and build a friendship or begin a conversation, and they're Middle Eastern, there's expectations right away. They expect me to know the culture, the language, the customs, the faith, all of that. Um, and so what I've seen over the years is there's some people who are kind of born and bred Midwesterns or Chicagoans like yourself yeah. who um, who actually I've noticed are more effective disciple makers than myself. Hmm. And here's why. Hmm. It's because um, on the bridge of that mutuality of questions, there's so much grace. Mm. When you, somebody like you, I'll use you for an example, you know, wear, wearing a Cubs hat, <laughs> talking to, to you know, a neighbor who's Middle Eastern in my neighborhood or something like that, they don't expect you to know their customs. Mm-hmm. They don't expect you to know their culture. They don't expect you to know their language. Um, and so it begins to build a bridge as you share your culture, they share their culture. As you share your, your language, they share theirs. As you try their food, they try yours. Um, and I've, I've found that um, it's actually paradoxical and co- counter to what we think a lot of times, that, mm. that in our differences, we actually 
highlight the work and empower the work of God and the gospel to flow. Um, it's not always like to like that's most effective. Hmm. So would you say that the the emphasis is just on building that connection, on being, on reaching out and and uh, looking for opportunities to build a relationship with people, not worrying about having to know everything there is to know about that particular culture or religion, but just being genuine and um, looking for opportunities to connect with them, to share your culture. Yes. Yeah, I think I think it's important that we always remember that everyone is an individual mm-hmm. and that every story is different. You know, even I was I had to learn this lesson. I I was um friends with a uh, a new refugee that was, you know, from the Middle East and and God was doing something in his heart, but you know, as we were talking about God and and I was trying to answer his questions and reach out to him, I realized something wasn't clicking. And I, and I realized kind of my normal understanding of what it means to come out of Islam and into to Christianity wasn't lining up and come to realize that really his journey is completely different from mine. He had seen horrors with ISIS in the Middle East, and he had walked away from the concept of God altogether. So he was actually before exploring Jesus, he was kind of living what he would call uh, a secret atheist life. Mm-hmm. And so... If I, as somebody who would, you know, try to present myself as some, you know, expert in, in, in Middle Eastern people or expert in Muslim background people, I don't want to do that because um, this world is ever changing and people are individuals. And so I think actually it can be a hindrance to, to you know, to, to say, oh, here's how Muslim people think. Mm-hmm. And so this is how you should approach Muslim people. I think I would rather say, you should get to know that person. Mm. You should be their neighbor and their friend, and you should ask them questions. Because I think of my own family, just in my own household, we're so different, and we think differently. I have to, you know, motivate and discipline my kids completely different. And we're under the same roof, same genetics, the same culture. Um, So I think in the same way, um, we have to be open to that. I think Paul says it this way too, like, when I was among you, I resolved to know nothing but but Christ, Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's actually a work to say, we're going to kind of get a lot of this stuff out of the way, and we're going to pursue Christ and the, and the gospel, and not rest on anything but His power and, and the doors that He opens, um, and the people He brings uh, together to do His work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things, uh, just growing up, in Chicago, in inner city Chicago, um, is that, you know, even, even in our church, um, the diversity that you would see was always really interesting. And even just growing up in the city, as I grew up in the eighties and nineties was that I had, you know, Indians, uh, I had Muslims, I had Romanians, I had Russians, I had Puerto Rican, Mexican, Filipinos, Koreans, and in such a small area that it was so um and i remember growing up having that diversity just in the classroom and just coming together uh i you really didn't think about it you're just like oh like you know they're romanian but 
you know, they speak English just like you, even though they speak another language. And then I speak a longer, another language. I'm speaking Spanish. Right. Um, and, and then you have people from Trinidad, like I can, I'm, I'm, you get it. And, and, and for our listeners, like, right. We live right now in Laredo in a border town, which the, the population is 98% Hispanic. Right. So you don't have a lot of diversity in that sense, um, as you would maybe big urban city, but even especially Chicago, that at times it is a melting pot, but at times also segregated in the sense of just communities, uh, right, where you have your Polish, you, you know, you got your Romanians in a certain part of town, you got your Puerto Ricans, you got your Mexican, right? And, and it's kind of funny, though, how Chicago is that way in other cities, big cities as well. But um, it it is interesting, though, to be in a church in the inner city of Chicago and how many different cultures are represented. And man, that's that that is tough, probably at times. And, and I'm just thinking about my friend Dustin, uh, Pastor Moore in Chicago, and, and I'm sure that he has to deal with challenges in that way where, you know, he has Ethiopians and, and, and other people coming in and you're just like, wow. But it is pretty cool to see when they come under the gospel and that's what unites them. That's their family. We are one in Christ. There's, there's nothing else. Yeah, definitely. Um, been a lot of challenges, I think, to, to, to create a, a table that, that has so many cultures. When we were first planting in Chicago, I think, you know, the idea of a multicultural church was very much, you know, if we do a little bit of this and a little bit of that culture and a little bit of that culture, everyone will be happy. And what we eventually had to realize, actually, the thing we're going to have to practice is no one's preferences are going to be met. Mm. We're coming to church not because this is the church that meets our preferences or even our language group or even our cultural group. Um, and so whatever group we had to do, whatever ministry is what we did. So if we had more, let's say, Korean people who mm. like to cook, guess what food we're going to be eating? Or if we had more, um, you know, um, Hispanic people um, on worship. Well, guess what? What kind of our worship style is going to lean to mm-hmm. for a while? And it was just um, it, it. We ended, you know, we we set ourselves to to this kind of laying down our preferences for each other, and we ended everything with a meal always. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's um, it. Just. It just became what we had to do to connect because that that was our, you know, just as much as a part of our service as anything else. There you go, listeners. Brush off your barbecue and start cooking. It all revolves <laughs> around food, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah, John- that might have just been my bias. A lot of my life revolves around food. <laughs> yeah, so does our. In reading testimonies from, um, from people who have come from from the Muslim faith, from Islam to Christianity, a lot of them talk about having dreams, having dreams <laughs> of Jesus and things like this. Have you had that experience at all? Or is that, uh, what would you say about that? Is that something that you've heard from other people who have who have converted from Islam to Christianity? I'm just curious as to your perspective. Hmm. Sure. Um, yes, I, I've had experiences like that personally, okay. but also... I've heard that. And a lot of times if, and I don't have enough cases to, to create a pattern or your, this is not a a study, but I think especially when people are isolated Mm -hmm. from 
from God's people, and, and Jesus is, is going to greater lengths to reach them. Um, that's when I hear stories like that. Um, one of the things that that I was aware of right away is that some of the people that are coming into um, the city who are Im- coming as immigrants and refugees from places that really have very little to no Christians, um, I counted it as a privilege to be prayed over, like I said, for a decade. Yeah. Or, but I quickly came to realize as I, I do prayer walks through the neighborhood and I'd see all these apartments, you know, with windows open, full of immigrant families, and I'd be praying and wonder how many people were praying or if anyone had ever prayed mm-hmm. for that family of those people. And so, um, you know, that became a practice of mine because, you know, it's amazing and it's miraculous um, when God gives gives a dream to an isolated Muslim person who has no way to know Jesus other than yeah. Jesus' spiritual dream. Um, but I think um, on the flip side of that, um, I always thought, man, it would be a real shame yeah. for that for that same Muslim person to come to a place like Chicago where mm. there are believers full of the Spirit of God around and there's no one praying and there's no one reaching Amen. as well. So that, that uh, always motivated us. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, before we land this plane, Josh, um, you know, if there's a Muslim listening right now mm-hmm. uh, or any other immigrant refugees um as you yourself were um what would you do to encourage them um maybe a muslim who is a christian but definitely is afraid because of family uh retribution from the family being alienated from the family and or any other refugee that might be listening that like it's like i love the lord jesus and might just be a scared to come out, you know, and, or don't know how to do it. What, what would you say to that person? Yeah. You know, when, um, when thinking about sharing the gospel, like we talked about, um, that's kind of why I've in my head to kind of share the gospel, um, with, uh, the truth is the life of a refugee or an immigrant fear is kind of a shadow that's, that's always there. Mm. One one small way we illustrate it is, you know, even just as a young kid, the fear of, you know, if you ever switch schools as a kid or something like that, the fear of coming to something new. Now imagine everything in your life being flipped over. Um, and so the fear, the fear is already there. The isolation is there. Um, and um, the trauma is there. And so I would say, you know, if you're, if you're, coming if you're listening to this and and you and you if you're in islam or you're immigrant or you're refugee or wherever you're from uh if you're in that category then you know what fear is like and you also know what what sin looks like you know that this world is really broken i don't have to convince you of that at all and i think you would probably admit too that you're broken that you need something you need help um and I, i think for me my encouragement would be that um, Jesus is is the one who redeems and renews our life. Mm. He truly is the Savior of the world, and He's a Savior that doesn't meet us um, with with unrealistic uh, view of life. He's it's not like any other religion. It's not like Islam. It's not like Hinduism. Mm. Um, you can't follow steps and 
and everything is going to be great in your life and you're going to be wealthy and all of that. No, in fact, G- Jesus takes uh, a view of this world that, that is sober. And he says, um, in this world, you will have trouble. Mm-hmm. But this is his promise. He says, behold, I'm with you always. Um, that he's overcome this world. And so I would say to those who are listening, who feel overcome by the world, there is one who uh, overcomes this world. There's one who redeems and renews, who gives a life and a purpose. There's one who pursues you. Scripture says he's the God who hears. Uh, I think of, you know, the, the story of Abraham and and uh, Ishmael in the desert with his mother. She names God the God who hears because she was alone, isolated, and cast out. And so if that's you right now, I just want you to know that um, Christ has walked your shoes. Jesus mm. has walked your shoes. Mm. He fl- f- he fl- fled into Egypt um, as well mm. and uh, had to live the life that you have to live. And he also uh, is willing to walk your shoes of, of sin, shame, and death by taking up that cross. He said, I'm going to die. I'm going to take your sin, your shame, your brokenness. And he gives us his um, his grace, his his life, and his righteousness, mm. so that we can have a relationship with God, and 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 stand um, freely, not just as as just lowly servants of God, mm. but as children of God. Mm. Scripture says that that's a right that no one can take away. Mm. No matter what country you're in, what citizenship you have, you have the right to become a child of God, a citizen of heaven, and mm. so that would be. Um, my encouragement and uh, my charge you don't wait another day. Amen. Wow. Amen. Thank I pre- you. appreciate your passion about that, brother. It's just, it's, I love to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, and there you go for our listeners out there, please, please, first of all, go, go get the book. All right. I mean, you just heard the gospel message is for all people. Amen. You know, it's for all people. This is not a this is not a Western religion. This is for all people. And uh and, and I really, really love what you're doing in Chicago. Um and and again, please go get the book. We cannot give you everything about the good. We actually want you to go buy it and read it. All right. So we, we don't we don't we don't want to give you everything in the book. The strangers at our door. How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church by Joshua Sharif Mm -hmm. by Moody Publishing. Now, Joshua, where can people find you if you want to be found? That's what I like to tell our authors here. Where can they reach (laughs) out? Where are you at church? Where are you pastoring uh, in the Chicagoland area? So, yeah, I mean, just you can Google my name, Joshua Sharif, um, and... I'd be happy to connect with you. I'm on all the social media things. Awesome. Uh, easy to find, or you can just even Google the stranger at our shore mm. um, and it'll come up um, as well and connect you to me. Uh, yeah. If you have any questions or, or if, if there's anything that, that people want to know, I'm, I'm open and happy to connect. Now, do you have any speaking engagement of, uh, about the book or anything or in the future here at, that we might be able to go ahead and let our listeners know in the future? No, that's a good question. Uh, I don't have anything booked now. The book just came out. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff is starting to, to roll, but, um, certainly open if, if, if there are churches or organizations, 
um, that feel like this would be an encouragement to the, to what they're they're doing, I'd certainly be open to to coming out and being part of something. What part of Chicago are you currently at, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah, so I'm on the northwest side, okay. um, um, kind of in that same area, Albany Park. Albany area. Park, awesome. Yeah. So there you go for our listeners out there. Uh, please, please go get the book again. The Strangers at Our Shore, How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church. Joshua, thank you very much for yeah, joining so much. us at Bridge yeah, Radio. Uh, we're super excited, and we're super excited to get the book and promote it here yes. in the Texas area. And uh, hope we can have you back for any other books that you decide to write in the future, if you have not written any others. Uh, we'll but, see you. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Take thank care, you. Josh. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode with Pastor Joshua Sharif on his new book, The Strangers at a Shore, How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church with Sarah Lou Tierney. Uh, we were super excited. It was That was a great podcast. What, what stood out to you, Steve? Yeah, I love that. I guess I think um, just the way that he talked about how we go about connecting, mm. you know, with our neighbors, our immigrant neighbors, refugees, you know, sometimes I think we put too much strain on ourselves for feeling like we got to know too much. Mm. I think just, you know, relating to them, uh, showing them sincere love and, you know, just seeing how we can, we can serve them. I think it just builds that connection and the opportunity to, uh, to learn about them, you know, yeah. their culture and, you know, they probably want to learn about, you know, us culture as yeah. well. And so I think, just being genuine and you know getting over ourselves and 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 reaching out to them and uh seeing how we can meet their needs yeah that that really stood out to me as joshua was saying sometimes uh you know we want to learn everything yeah. about somebody's culture before engaging them um and 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 i'm just thinking like they they might they, i think they enjoy just teaching us and letting them teach us Instead of us Googling something and Absolutely. and having some like, yeah. oh, you know, and, and, and that's fine. But like he said, we're individuals, mm -hmm. you know, um, and we need to get to know them just because somebody's a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Catholic. Like they're individuals like I, I, we don't need to come in and just say, hey, you know, you look <laughs> it's they're not all uniform. You know, they're individual Absolutely people so that really stood out so you know one of the things you know steve he even hears the whole life on life that we continue yeah. talking about always exactly. in discipleship is just investing in people's yeah. lives and uh and again you, you heard them you know we let's have get a get a barbecue going you know it's summertime i think food <laughs> is the greatest way to get to know people yeah you know i mean it's just relaxed everybody needs to eat right yeah and you get to learn about different cultures that way you know try some of their food you know they i'm sure want to try western food yeah you know? so, yeah that was a great story with it with the cheeseburger you yeah, know exactly i mean i don't think it's a coincidence that jesus jesus before being crucified the night before he is spending mm. time in the upper room with his disciples breaking bread and drinking wine and then when he's risen right yeah. he's walking on the beach he prepares fish right? grilled fish on the beach remember that folks exactly uh, post-resurrection jesus is on the beach grilling fish with the disciples 
So, I mean, they were grilling. I think Jesus was eating, but who knows? Yep. But um, but I, I think that's very important to just realize what food uh, plays an importance in, in so many cultures, right? I mean, that's why I think the kitchen is such a, a focal point in, yeah. fi- in family. So yeah, um, that's pretty awesome. Steve, you wanted to give a shout out yeah. to a buddy out in Houston. Absolutely. I just want to give a shout out quick to a buddy over, over in Houston. Uh, at uh, Reformed Man Barbershop Creed and uh, his partner there they uh, do some great uh, barber work um, and if you're if you're a guy and you live over in the Houston area um, near Victoria it's Reformed Man they're on uh, Red River Street in Victoria Texas and they do some great uh, great uh, barbershop work over there and uh, I know that they'll take care of you they've got uh, some apparel as well some reformed man apparel and uh, so I just encourage you to go check them out you can find them on the web at reformedman.com and uh, I'm sure that they will take care of you if you need a, a haircut or a premium beard service they are the ones to check out so go go see what they have well, we thank you for them and what they uh, do for the ministry. So uh, we're really excited that more and more people are just uh, coming to know Bridge Ministry. Uh, again, we've been off a couple months, guys, and not because we haven't had any people. Things are just going on with the with moving uh, as we start moving and just getting everything together. And uh, again, COVID has uh, postponed some of our um, our, our podcasts, um, and but we 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 will. Um, continue to get more more uh, authors here we do have several lineups so just thank you for being patient it's just good to be back and please don't forget to follow us on facebook instagram twitter and youtube and like we always like to end the show what is your only comfort in life and in death that i am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior jesus christ to next week next week guys amen